morning, High Street. Welcome to the live stream. I've been looking forward to being with you guys this morning. Welcome also to those who don't normally attend with us. We love that you hang out with us online. It's a good place to be, isn't it? Um, I just encourage you, if you've joined us online uh, just now or you've been on the whole time, make sure you say something in the comments. Say hello. How you doing? What you're thinking about? Something fun like that. We're just so glad you're here, and we want you to let other people know how glad you are to be here as well. Um, So like my wife said during our announcements, we're starting a new series, and it's a series that I get to go through with you. It's called the Nourish Series. And, um, you know, we just finished a Sowing Seeds series. Danny set that up. It's a lot of S's together, as you can tell. He uh, said, said it was a tongue twister. And so I had to say it 10 times fast, which is really hard. Sowing seeds series, sowing seeds series, sowing seeds series. Um, so we just finished that up. It was about how the biblical idea of seeds um, helps us understand both our own growth and uh, the growth that we can give away to other people. We can plant seeds in other people's lives as well. And uh, while he's on sabbatical, we talked about doing um, a series that kind of set up our following series called In the Garden, which is going through... Um, the story of the biblical plants and how they actually tell the biblical story really clearly through Scripture. And so in between that, this kind of rest period while Danny's on sabbatical, we're going to be doing the Nourish series. And, you know, what does a seed need while it's in the soil? It needs nourishment. It needs sunlight, right? It needs, um, well, sunlight eventually. It needs water. It needs the, the nutrients from the soil. And so what, that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be nourishing these seeds that we've been thinking about. We're going to be um, nourishing the ones that we planted in our own lives that God's been planting through his word and our times with him, as well as the seeds and, uh, that we're planting in other people's lives and thinking about how do we nourish those? How do we come alongside? And, um, and in that, just, it's just a prayer, a prayer to... Um, to God that we would be growing as we, as we plant these seeds, that those that we invest in would be growing as we plant these seeds, that in fall, especially as we return and jump into the In the Garden series, that we would be um, ready for people to come in and have those seeds already working in their hearts and their lives, and that our church would be recalibrated around that. So that's my prayer, that's our prayer, and that's what we'll be doing during the Nourish series. So we'll be, each month we'll be doing... Uh, and featuring a pair of cyclical biblical terms. And they kind of will feed into one another. So this month, we'll be doing um, restore and revive. So we'll be doing restore and revive. And today, I'll be talking about restore, and then um, next week, we'll jump into the word revive. So what comes to your mind when you think of the word restore? What areas in your life come to mind when you think of restoration? You see, today we'll begin to see how the process of restoration for Christians requires a return to God by recognizing that what he made was very, very good and that it has become very, very broken. And only through participation in restoration can we grow in our relationship with God and others. So let's take a moment, would you pray with me, and we'll just invite God into this time as we learn together. Jesus, we're thankful that you are already here this morning, that you've been here before even our tech team arrived or the musicians as they practiced. You've been here with your heart ready to hear from us as well as to teach us. 
and you've invited us specifically, even us who are in our homes, in our living rooms, into your presence. I thank you that you're sitting with us on the couch or um, you know, at the coffee table, wherever we may be listening to this, even out on a walk. We know that you are here with us. Thank you for that. And we ask that today you would take our hearts on a journey, a journey deeper into who you've made for us to be and who you've made for us to be because of who you are. We ask, God, that your love, your power, your light, your desire for us would be on display this morning. As well as, would you also expose the parts of our heart that need that sort of nourishment, that tender care, that need restoration still. God, when we think about it, we're hungry for that. Aren't we right now in this season? You've been doing a work already. Would you help us to be attentive? We invite your Holy Spirit to do that work this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. So, how many of you have attempted to restore something, anything, you know, like a garden. I've heard a few of you doing gardens. Uh, a chair. I talked to Danny uh, this week before he left. He talked about this chair in his office. It's old, and it's probably two or three generations, it sounded like, ago, that one of his grandfathers restored it, and then the next grandparent or parent restored it, and now he has this chair in his office that reminds him sort of of this legacy of restoration. Um, and what about a car? I know a lot of us uh, men like to look at cars. Some of us like to get our hands dirty and work on them. Um, if you've restored anything, uh, why don't you share a picture of it? Either put it in the, the comments now or, um, you know, on your phone or on the computer. I have mine right here. And, um, or put it on our High Street group page, and we could see some of these projects that we've invested in. So for, you, for those of you who've done this, what are two things that you must first consider when restoring something, like a car or a chair? You know, what came to mind for me when I asked that question were these two things. One, can it be fixed? When we think of restoration, we wonder, can this item be fixed? You know, what's there? Um, and this is a question of, like, worth or value. You know, you come across an old, broken-down, rusty car. Well, what's there? Is, there? is there part of that metal that's really valuable that you can restore? Um, maybe just the paint's gone and it just needs a new paint job. Or maybe the tires are flat. You know, same with a, a, a chair. You know, maybe the, all the um, threads are worn off, but the, the wood is still solid and it's old and it's, it's from an old growth forest or something. So can it be fixed? This is a question of value. Is it still valuable even though it's had some damage to it? The other question we ask is, do I have the resources to help this thing become what it should be, right? And that's a question of like capacity or capability. Like, do I have the skill or the time or maybe the finances? Maybe I can't restore a chair, but I can pay someone else to do it, and then I can love and enjoy this chair because my grandma sat in it, and she prayed for me in it, and now I can think about praying for my family. You know, so we wonder those two questions. Can it be fixed, and do I have those resources worth value, and then capacity and capability. You know, and this is pretty simple when we think of an inanimate object, right? But what about something that's a little more complex like a relationship? You know, how do you restore a relationship? You know, relationships are built on trust, right? And we have betrayal that occurs sometimes. There's deceit. There's neglect. There's stubbornness. I'm sure a lot of us experience that in ourselves and with others. And 
those sorts of things can make it hard. Like once something negative happens, how do you go back to what it was before? Right? And that can build up a lot over time. But really our question today is, what about a soul? Our mind, our emotions, our volition, our character. How do you restore a soul? You know, this familiar psalm, you'll know it when I say it, talks about restoration. It goes, the Lord is my shepherd. I can hear you in your living rooms quoting it with me. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He restores my soul. Like who does it? God does. He does. The shepherd does. Isn't that beautiful? That's what God promises in his word. And we, we live on that. A lot of us feast on that image, right? I love it. I go back to it all the time. Think of it when I can't sleep at night. Lord is my shepherd. And I fall asleep, right? In Hebrew, that word restore actually is the word um, shuv. It's spelled like S-H-U-W-B, which I think is funny because that's kind of three U's. It's not a W, it's like a triple U. Shuv, that's how you pronounce it. So if you want to talk in Hebrew to anybody, you'll know how to say that. So actually that word uh, shuv means to return. So like the word restore actually means returning, returning to the starting point, bringing back. And there's all these different uses. It's like a root word in Hebrew, so it's applied to like so many different things. But when you come to that in the soul, it talks about returning the soul. Well, returning to what? We're not necessarily returning somewhere. Even that psalm goes on a journey, right? So the psalmist says, he restores my soul, and then he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, you know. And then you're in the enemy, you're before your enemies, and he, and he makes a feast and a banquet. And there's this whole story that you're walking through, and the, the restoring the soul is part of that whole thing. It starts in the beginning, but you also go through paths of righteousness and the shadow of death and or the, yeah, the shadow of death, and then also you go to, you sit in front of your enemies and eat this giant feast the Lord's made you, and this is just the way God does things. It's totally different than what we think. So we're not returning physically to a place. Restore doesn't mean to go back to the Garden of Eden and like, let's find it, you know, let's go on some epic quest, and where was the garden originally? It actually means to return like as a quality, to return the quality of the relationship back to what it was. So we're returning relationally. We're returning spiritually. You're being restored in your spirit, in your soul. So like, consider for yourself, have you experienced loss, brokenness, betrayal, fear, weariness? Well, when we hear the word restore, God is saying, I know that loss. You know, I know that brokenness, that betrayal, that fear, that weariness, that grief. Now, the word restore, let's go get it back. You know, let's go back to that place in our relationship where it was almost as if that never happened. That's what restoration looks like. Essentially, it's a return to the quality of the relationship that we had in the Garden of Eden, where we walked with God, where we worked with God, where we were in full relationship with God and others. Well, for Adam, it was just one other, Eve his wife, but for us, it's many others. So Carrie and I experienced this 
uh, recently in, in this kind of cool, unique way. Um, I gained access to recently to a 15-year-old email account from college that I hadn't had access to in over a decade. So these, this email account, I mean, a lot of random stuff, but one of the coolest things was it had emails we exchanged before we first met at Mount Hermon. Well, just after we first met at Mount Hermon. That would be impossible for us to do it beforehand. And so this is when we were just friends. We had met, we spent a summer together, and then Carrie went to England. I was living at Biola doing my undergrad. And um, we shared 30 to 40 lengthy emails. And in those emails, as we read them out loud together, we found memories of when we met, adventures we had shared, scriptures and encouragements, music and videos, long-forgotten inside jokes, and the seeds of our first love. We could trace the roots of our feelings that developed even to those first emails back then. So after we finished those, took about a week or so reading through in our extra time, I dug out a box of old prayer journals. We stored these somewhere down in our garage, and we began to read chronologically through our relationship. So we're like, this is so fun. Let's just find all that we have to say. So we skipped the other side stuff, but whenever it said Dave or Carrie, we'd highlight that, and we'd try as best we could to match up our stories. So, and if you've ever liked anyone, you know how curious you are of all that's going on inside their head while you're going through that relationship. So it was so fun that in the safety of our covenant of marriage, we could revisit the honest details of the beginning of our relationship. It was so exciting. We laughed, we cried, we apologized, we affirmed each other. We often said, ah, I didn't know you were thinking that then. We were literally binging our relationship. It brought new life, it brought realignment, it brought encouragement, it brought challenge, it brought truth and perspective. These were the initial roots of our current life now. And this was a work of restoration. We were going back to the beginning of what our story has been, remembering what God had originally started, seeds of his purpose and his plan, and watching how these have grown. Revelations 2, 3 through 4, Eric McCall reminded me of this this week, says this, I know you are enduring patiently, and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent, which is actually the word return, you know, return back to God, and do the works you did at first. So here we have a church the, the, the John, the author of Revelations, is saying, you've done good. You've been faithful. You've put up with a lot. And you're not even weary, which is amazing, because they were going through a lot of persecution back then. But he says, the one thing that you've forgotten is that you've forgotten your first love. You've forgotten the love you have at first. And then he says, remember. Remember. Jesus even says something like this, that the Spirit will help bring you into remembrance. And what do you remember? You remember from where you have fallen. And it sounds negative, but it means that you were up high before. You had this amazing value, and it's something about that has been lost because you've forgotten that first love. 
And so he encourages them to return and do the things they did at first. So think about it. How different is your relationship with God right now than when it first got started? How different is it? And I'm not saying this to make you feel bad or good. Just think about it for a second. God is inviting us back to a fresh relationship with him. This isn't about like going back locationally to where you first gave your life to him. This isn't about going back to like a baby stage with God where you like don't think about your faith or only go off emotions or something like that. This is about quality, right? This is about quality, that the freshness, the clarity that you have with God would be restored as if nothing had gotten in the way of it as if nothing had been wrong. This is what restoration does. It's not just, uh, you know, me and God, we're good, check it off the list, I'm going to go about my day. It's everything that's gotten in the way of relationship with God being restored back to me and God and enjoying every part of life with him. This is depicted really clearly in how God creates us, right? In Genesis 1, this is familiar for most Christians, but you know God created the world and he creates the animals and the plants and light and dark and the stars and the sun and the moon and everything's beautiful, right? And he says, I made it very good. And there's one thing that you need to know that is specific about this. In Genesis 1.27, God says, God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. There is an irremovable imprint of God in us that God called, as part of his creation, very good. That's his answer to the question of worth and value. That first question, can we fix this? He sees it, and he sees that irremovable imprint of himself in our lives. And our natural reaction to the world that he made, to those that we know, to the communities that we see, when we see the goodness of God, our natural reaction is thankfulness, right? Worship, drawing near. You know, there's sometimes I'll read these really wonderful scriptures, and they're supposed to do that to me. Be like, wow, God, this is just like, a, it should be a feast, right? It, you know, the Lord restores my soul. This is so wonderful, right? But then something in my heart goes like, but does he really, you know, and I start to retreat or shut down or kind of, I don't know, philosophize, if that's a word, but just wonder about it. Doubt too. And these aren't bad things, things to be honest about, but it shows that that natural thankfulness, that goodness, that worship of God, something went wrong right? The story of restoration implies the breaking of that core relationship with God. So restoration, like that verse said, you've fallen, right? Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. You were made in the image of God. You still are. But there's something broken about that relationship. In uh, Hebrew, they talk about the idea of spiritual death. That death was a separation, not just uh, physically, but spiritually. It was a death of the relationship. That y- you were dead to each other. 
And that's what happened to our relationship with the Lord, right? When we died in the Garden of Eden after we sinned, death entered the world. Well, not everyone died immediately. People went on living. But the relationship between us and God was dead. Romans 5.12 says it this way. When Adam sinned, death or sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone. For everyone sinned. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. Harsh. And you know, death, it includes physical death, right? Disease, crime, injustice. But we know these, as Christians, are symptoms, right? They're symptoms of spiritual death. Because something core in our relationship with God died. And when that died, it brought shame. You know, you see Adam and Eve cover themselves. It brought guilt. You see, they hide from God, right? It then enters blame. I didn't do it. Well, it was Eve. No, it was Adam, right? And then there's rebellion, right? And they have to leave the garden. And then Abel and Cain, you know, Cain kills Abel. And you just watch the consequences play out from there. And I'm wondering, as you're hearing me talk about this, where are you seeing this in your life right now, in this season? I don't know about you, but my mind runs to coronavirus, the disease that just hit the entire world. Is that not a symptom of the brokenness of our relationship with God? That's something core in the middle of his very good creation, experienced a spiritual death. I like to think of the image of God being broken in us that it's sort of like a shattered mirror with shards all over the ground. And as much as we like to see our reflection clearly or God's reflection clear, clearly, when we look in that, all we see is distorted pieces. The funny thing is, is now because of those consequences, we can't even want relationship with God outside of his Holy Spirit being in us. Do you know why? It's because we can't see him. It just doesn't make sense. We look in that mirror we look even for the mirror of ourselves, and we just can't see him rightly. He looks all distorted. It looks all broken. And you see the consequences of this all over our world. Romans 1.25 says this, they traded the truth of God for a lie. They traded the truth of God for a lie. And so because of that, they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator. It's like they looked in that broken mirror and said, well, this doesn't work. Well, I'll just go just use everything else that he made, and that'll be my point in life. That'll be my purpose. That'll be what I find fulfillment in. There's something broken about that relationship. So our answer to those two questions that we asked earlier, our answer as humanity to those questions we asked about restoration, can we fix this and do we, are we able to? Do we have the resources? Is no. We first say, no, it's not worth it because we don't even understand who God is apart from him telling us. And the second one, we don't have the capacity. Our soul wasn't made to restore itself like that. And what's hard about this and also really true and good is that restoration to be restored actually forces us to come to grips with our helplessness 
our powerlessness and weakness, our inability to return to what was. Because I don't know about you, like even movies do this to me where I watch something beautiful in a movie and I'm like, oh man, like I wish I could live like that. You know, there's this hunger for the Garden of Eden going back to that fresh relationship again where things were good, where everything worked the way it was meant to be. And really that's a longing for things to work between us and God. We long for what was good. We long for where we fell from. And this is the tension of restoration. This is what makes it hard. Like when you think of a relationship, it's not easy to be restored. One person's hurt, the other person feels blamed. How do you work that out? It takes work. You have to apologize, you have to forgive, you have to actually do the work of restoring that relationship. You know, and I thought of a story even this morning as I was praying and thinking about this. It might be a familiar one for you, but it's powerful. It's from Corrie Ten Boom, and it's while she was giving a sermon in Germany. So Corrie Ten Boom went through the concentration camps in the Holocaust for housing Jews. So listen to this. I want you to think about how restoration looks. This is what Corey says. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence, collected their wraps, and left the room. And that's when I saw him, she says, working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next, a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. And it all came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment of skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now, he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook, rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrück in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he didn't remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Again, his hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I, whose sins had every day to be forgiven, and could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, 
hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able also to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and horrible as that. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart, but forgiveness was not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one that stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried, with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. You know, forgiveness is just the beginning of restoration. The very beginning. Corey Ten Boom goes on to say, forgiveness wasn't easy after that. She had to do it many, many times over. And each time it took effort and she had to draw back on God's supply of life and restoration that he had given her. You know, Christianity claims the only way to restore a soul, the only way to go back to the garden is through restoring relationship with God now. As we know, maybe too familiarly, the cross is the foremost place where equally the value of creation is affirmed and the value of humanity and the ugly brokenness of sin. We see the value of the Son of God himself laying himself down, carrying the weight of that sin. And we think from how far he's metaphorically fallen, come down to us. I think of Paul, he prayed for that thorn to leave him, and he says the power of God is made perfect in my weakness. 
And we know that when Jesus rose again that day, that there was something forever restored, cosmically restored about our relationship with God. But we don't want to rush ahead too quickly because forgiveness is so often applied as a band-aid to a wound that needs continual maintenance, right? If the image of God has been broken, the image of God is restored in Jesus. In Colossians, it says that he is the image of the invisible God and that he is the firstborn of many brethren, which means that he's first. So he's the first fixed image now that we have of who God is. And we get to follow. We get to walk a restored relationship with him. I think too often the church uh, over-eagerly, in, in, in a, even a good way, wants people to find forgiveness from God and has them pray a prayer. Please continue to do that. I'm not saying don't. But we run so quickly there and then encourage them just to continue on with life. And we don't paint a full picture of what a life restored looks like. Like it was for Corey Tenboom, where she went through the worst of the worst and then suddenly had to confront that and really work really do the work of restoration. Dallas Willard says, grace isn't opposed to effort. It's opposed to striving, right? There's a work of restoration that we enter into. There's really a process. It's a participation. The coolest thing about this is when we join in this restoration work with God of our own souls and the lives of those around us, we experience God's yes. We experience God saying yes to the questions that we posed at the beginning. Can I fix this? Do I have the resources? Our answers to both of those were no. God says yes. Yes, I value you this much. Look at the cross. That's me. Yes, I have the capacity and the capability. Look at the empty tomb. That's from me. Now let's do this lifelong journey of doing restoration in your life. God wants to not just do it to Jesus. He wants to do it with you. And now as you enter into that relationship with Jesus, it becomes a sweet place of lifelong restoration. What I'd like to do now is actually begin a time of prayer, prayer and reflection. So I'm going to read through a portion of Isaiah 55. It's actually the beginning portion of what Carrie read earlier, just right beforehand. So if you need to refer to it later. And we're going to think about the word restore in this prayer. And I'm going to break it up into three sections of that word. First part is R-E, re. Second part is rest. And the third part is store. And this is a way for you and for us now and in the future to pray through this with the Lord. And we're going to use Isaiah 55 as a scripture. So let's turn our attention to the Lord and I will just offer a short meditations and then prayer. And would you just open your hands with me? before God, saying, God, we're, we're open for that sort of first love relationship with you again. Would you bring freshness, God? 
It's overwhelming to think of all the things going on in our world right now, even more so than many of us have ever experienced in our lifetime. It's overwhelming to think of what restoration might look like in our world. And then when we take a look at our own soul, wow. How do we restore that? We thank you that this is a work that you do that's based on what Jesus did. And so now we're just going to turn our attention to your word. Lord. So the first part of Isaiah 55 talks about coming to God. And there's this prayer that we can pray. Just I want read, like redo. I want you to think, do it again, God. Do it again. That's our prayer. So the, I'm going to read this, and this will be our, our prayer prompt. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Lord, we thank you for your free invitation of restored relationship. And we know we've fallen. We know that image in us is broken and we see the symptoms everywhere. Our hearts long to return to our first love, to walk hand in hand with you again, Lord. Lord, we've forgotten so much. We've gone through clouds of suffering and sin. How do we come back to you? So Lord, we pray the word come, come do it again. We have nothing like this passage says without you. But you invite us to a feast where we can celebrate with wine, where we can be nourished by milk, where we can come without any cost without any price and receive freely from you. We thank you for this. And we receive in this moment the restoration that you're inviting us into. And Lord, as we consider that second part of the word restore, the word rest, we want to turn again to you to say we not only need to receive and come, but hearts need to rest there for a while, to hang out in the, by the flowing waters, lay down in the green pastures, and be recalibrated. Would you help us with this now as we reflect on Isaiah 55, verse 2? Why, why do we spend our money for that which does, is not bread and our labor for that which does not satisfy listen diligently to me and eat what is so good and delight yourselves in rich food incline your ear and come to me hear that your soul may live. Lord, we have so many broken processes in our lives 
We look at that image in us and we know it's not reflecting the God that we believe in, the God who's invited us into relationship again through the cross of Jesus. And so we want to have that stuff worked on. We know we're living in things that don't satisfy us. We're spending our money, our time, our hopes, our dreams on things that aren't always you. And so we hearken to your invitation again to listen. Not just to come, but to listen, to hear from you. To feast on what you say in your word. To feast on what you say through your spirit. To delight ourselves in the food that you provide. To listen that our soul may live. Would you bring that life to our soul again? Holy Spirit, would you work on that now? And lastly, Lord, we come to you with the last part of that word, restore, which is store. Store up. Lord, our hearts long to live in that process with you where day in and day out we're feasting. Where day in and day out we're living with you. Where the contents of what we're you know, eating and digesting in your word and your spirit becomes stored up into a strength inside of our bones, into a hope that changes our mind and our thoughts, sets them on the things above, into a, a renewal that begins to shape that image that's inside of us to be the image of the invisible God that is you, Jesus. So Jesus, we thank you for being with each one of us, for your powerful ministry that you've done through the cross and through our faith in you, and we ask that you give us places of restoration again in our lives. Would you help us to find where we need to slow down, where we need to meet with you, Lord? And we just reflect on the last part of Isaiah 55, where God says, I will make an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Lord, we thank you for this everlasting covenant that came through Jesus. We receive it, and we want to walk in restoration today. pray this in your name.